welcome to the sermon webcast of Good News Lutheran Church of Mount Horeb, Wisconsin. The following sermon was preached on Sunday, September 2nd, 2018, on the basis of selected verses from Mark chapter 7. Has anyone ever described you using the letters OCD? You maybe know that those three letters get thrown around quite a bit in our everyday English conversation. In fact, that term has become so widespread that it's one of those terms that can be used as just about every different type of form of speech. So, for example, you could say, I have OCD. You could say, I am OCD. You could say, I'm acting very OCD, or even, I'm OCDing right now. So that's noun, adjective, adverb, and verb, if you're keeping score. But you probably also know that as common as those three letters have sometimes become, they actually do refer to a very real psychological condition known as obsessive-compulsive disorder. So the idea being that a person has these constant, recurring, unwanted thoughts that they just can't make go away, these obsessions. And that as a result of these recurring thoughts, they engage in a specific set of recurring ongoing, repeated behaviors to try and deal with those thoughts, compulsions. You maybe know about OCD that one of the most common obsessions has to do with coming into any sort of contact with germs, and therefore one of the most common compulsions has to do with ongoing, repeated washing of a person's hands. Well, in just a minute, I'm going to tell you about something that the religious leaders in Jesus' day were doing that might cause you to think that maybe they had OCD. On a very regular basis, they were involved in this strange ritualistic hand-washing. And at the very least, when I tell you about it, I'm guessing you're going to conclude that maybe something about them was just a little bit off. And yet, here's what we need to understand right at the very outset, that this compulsion that they had was based on an obsession that you and I share. This repeated hand-washing that they went through was actually rooted in a very deeply embedded and recurring thought that is universal to the human condition. Namely, it was the result of an obsession with being clean. And we talk about cleanliness today. We're not talking about anything that has anything to do with germs. We're talking about an inner spiritual cleanliness. The ability to look at yourself, look at your life, look at your behavior, look at your heart, And be pleased and satisfied with what you see. To know that when God looks at your life, your behavior, and your heart, he feels exactly the same way. To not have anything in your life that you are terribly ashamed about, that you feel guilty over, that you want to keep hidden from anyone around you at any and all costs. That is an obsession with being clean that by nature all of us share. And as we're going to see today, that obsession can lead to all kinds of different compulsions. might not lead you to engage in some strange ritualistic hand-washing ceremony, but it might lead you to do things that are just as odd and just as puzzling. And yet we could take all of those different things that people do to, to deal with that obsession with cleanliness and we could really boil them down into just two basic categories. They all fall into two broad headings. As we look at these verses from Mark chapter 7 today, here's what we're going to see that there are only two compulsions for dealing with our universal obsession with being clean. 
So here's what was going on in Jesus' day. These religious leaders, these scribes and these Pharisees, they come to Jesus and they express their anger, their outrage, because they see that Jesus and his disciples are not doing this ceremonial, traditional hand-washing before they eat. Here's how it worked. Before they would eat every meal, they would take a bowl full of water. It had to be perfectly clean water. It had to be just the right amount. If it was too little, it didn't work. It didn't count. They had to do it over again. So then they would dip their hands into the water, and as soon as they would take their hands out, they had to raise them up into the air. Why? So that the the water that was now on their hands, that was now contaminated by their hands, wouldn't run down to the end of their fingertips, but instead would run away from their hands and would actually run down their wrists. It was also because they had a rule that it wasn't just their hands that needed to be cleaned, but their entire forearm as well. And, And they had this rule that if the water didn't completely cover your wrist, then it didn't count. You had to start over. You had to do it all over again. So they would do this ritualistic hand washing, and then they would take the water that was left in the bowl. They'd throw it out. They'd get a brand new bowl of water, again, perfectly clean, just the right amount, and they would do the whole thing over again. Why? Well, again, this had nothing to do with germs. It had to do with this inner spiritual cleanliness. You see, if these Jewish people were out and about around town all day long, who knows what kind of impurity, what kind of vileness they might come into contact with. Who knows what kind of unbelieving heathen person they might have a conversation with or do business with or, heaven forbid, shake hands with. And so this ritualistic hand washing was a way of once again separating themselves from all of that impurity, all of that defilement, and once again demonstrating just how clean they were. Like I said, that might sound a little bit strange to you. And yet what we really need to understand are the assumptions and the pattern that was underneath their behavior. See, it all started with this obsession with being clean, and and the pattern of thought sort of went like this. Step one, you assume that you are or can be clean by yourself. Step two, you carefully define whatever it is that hypothetically would make you unclean if you came into contact with it. Step three, you stay away from that thing as far as you possibly can. And then step four, you act superior to and get angry with anyone who doesn't act the same way. That's why they were upset with Jesus and his disciples. See, once we understand that pattern of behavior, then we realize that this very kind of thing goes on all the time in our world. Sometimes the impression is given that we live in a world that isn't a very moral place, that these days everything... Everyone can do whatever they want and anything goes. It's actually not the case. In some ways, we are more morally rigid today than we have ever been before. It's just that the definition of morality, of course, is, is constantly up for debate and seems to change by the week. But on the one hand, one person defines morality as a very strict adherence to a a basic and long-held code of, of what's right and what's wrong. On the other hand, a person might define morality as treating everybody equally, respecting everyone's decisions, letting everyone pursue whatever path might lead them to happiness. But either way, morality is very carefully defined. And either way, as soon as that morality is violated, the reaction is swift and severe. In fact, some sociologists have described our time as the age of outrage that it's almost a national pastime to constantly have something about which we are self-righteously infuriated. 
In fact, some people say that there's a biological reason for this. That if, for example, you participate in a social media mob that is just lashing out at someone for their behavior, and as a result of that social media mob, some CEO gets fired, or some actor has his career come to an end, the power that you feel from that experience actually releases endorphins into your body and fills you with almost this high, this euphoria that can actually be addicting. I don't know if there's a biological explanation for it, but there surely is a spiritual one. All of it comes from this obsession with being clean. So step one, I assume that I am and can be clean by myself. Step two, I define very carefully whatever it is that hypothetically would make me unclean if I came into contact with it. Step three, I stay as far away from it as I possibly can. Finally, step four, I act superior to and get upset with anyone who acts differently. Here's the part of the sermon where I have to ask, do you see this happening in your own life? Out of all the different things that you know God expects you to do, which are the ones that you sort of ignore and dismiss because you know you're not very good at them, and which are the ones that you really focus in on and really obsess over because you know those are the ones that you can really nail? Never mind the fact that I'm constantly snapping at my wife and my kids at home. At the very least, I earn an honest living and don't mooch off the government like some people do. Never mind the fact that I'm the absolute queen of small-town gossip, but at the very least, I care about the environment, so much so that I even drive a hybrid. Never mind the fact that I define success and happiness exactly the way my unbelieving neighbor does. Never mind the fact that my budget and my calendar and my priorities look exactly like he, his do. At the very least, I get up and go to church on Sundays instead of sleeping in like he does. Forget about the fact that I don't even stop to notice, much less lift a finger to help someone who is hurting or in need around me. But at least I don't vote for whatever candidate or party we have decided is the absolute epitome of evil takes a lot of different forms, and yet all of these different compulsions are the result of the very same obsession. There are just two possible compulsions for dealing with this universal obsession for being clean, and the one, the first, is to keep that which would contaminate us as far away from us as we possibly can. So does it work? After listening to the outrage expressed by these religious leaders, you, you heard Jesus give his assessment over their efforts to be clean. And if you were paying attention, you heard how absolutely brutal it was. Jesus starts out by saying that their definitions of clean and unclean were just completely made up. They had set aside the commands of God for the rules of human beings. They had moved the goalposts. They had moved the target to make it easier for them to hit the bullseye. And there was a reason for that. Jesus identified the reason. You see, the second we start living according to God's rules and measuring ourselves by God's standards, we realize there's no way in the world that we can possibly be clean. In fact, Jesus says that evil and vileness, that which is unclean, that which contaminates us, it's not somewhere out there. It's deep down in here. Evil doesn't come from the outside in. It comes from the inside out which means there's a result of that too. That our best efforts 
to try and make ourselves clean are actually only going to take us further from God. Jesus sort of plays the trump card in these verses, the ultimate trump card against religious leaders. He uses the last word in the world that any religious person would really want to be used to refer to, referred, uh, to them as. He says, you hypocrites. Outwardly, you look very, very good, but deep down inside, you are absolutely awful. Your best efforts to be clean and to get close to God are actually taking you farther from him. Kind of sounds hopeless, doesn't it? Even as we try and move the goalposts or move the bullseye so that we can hit the target, it doesn't matter. Only God's rules and God's standards do. Our best efforts to try and get closer to God are only going to take us further away because evil is not something that comes from the outside in but comes from the inside out. Kind of makes the whole thing sound hopeless. What's the solution? Well, Jesus doesn't spell it out in these verses, but he does very much hint at it. See, on the one hand, he says that the human heart is nothing more than a sewage pump of everything that is vile in the world. That our hearts are factories of every form of evil, that they work with lightning speed and incredible efficiency at producing the most awful things. And yet in the very next breath, he says that the whole goal of of religion, the whole goal of worship, the whole goal of, of church and faith, we might say, is to take those very same human hearts and bring them close to God. So how in the world can hearts that are so vile and so unclean possibly come close, possibly come into contact with the God who is the epitome of purity and holiness? It's not only if and when we can make those hearts clean first. It's only because God himself can cleanse them. In fact, God has instituted his own heart-washing ritual that is far simpler and far more effective than the one described in these verses. We call it holy baptism. At that baptismal font, our Father in heaven scooped us up into his loving arms and he took the blood of Jesus and used it to wash away every spot, every stain, every sin from our hearts. He took the perfection of Jesus. Paul says that Christ is the fulfillment of the law. He took the perfection of Jesus and he swaddled us in it. Titus can be head to toe as a perfectly white robe. In Jesus Christ, every single form of evil that has come spewing out of our hearts has been washed, has been bleached, perfectly white. And every form of good that Jesus himself lived and embodied has been credited to our account, has our name written on it. There are just two possible compulsions for dealing with this natural obsession with being clean. The one is to keep that which contaminates as far away from us as we possibly can. It is natural, even inevitable, that we are going to try that one first. But it won't work. Thankfully, God himself points us to the other one. Not to take that which, is, that which contaminates and keep it far away, but to bring that which contaminates. To bring ourselves close to God. Close to the God who can and does cleanse our hearts. We're right in the middle of this series entitled Playing for Keeps in which we're talking about this spiritual battle that's going on for our souls all around us all the time. 
And these words that we're hearing today are a very important reminder that very often the devil fights that battle wearing camouflage. That he can and does do as much damage in our hearts and in our lives through our best efforts at good as he does through our best efforts at evil. In fact, I wanted to share with you kind of an interesting quotation about Half a century ago, there was a Presbyterian minister named Donald Barnhouse who was asked the question, what would it look like if the devil completely took over a community? And he said this. He said, if Satan took over Philadelphia, that was the place where he was the pastor, all of the bars would be closed, pornography banished, and pristine streets would be filled with tidy pedestrians who smiled at each other. There would be no swearing. The children would say, yes, sir, and no, ma'am, and the churches would be full every Sunday where Christ is not preached. Satan can work as much damage through our best efforts to be good as he works through our best efforts to be evil. Last week, as we kicked off this series, we talked about the importance and the urgency of this battle. We talked about the importance of spending time with God here in church on Sunday morning, Sunday school and Bible class, in our homes, with our families during the week. These words remind us that those compulsions can be one of two ways of dealing with this obsession. So friends, let's realize the true value of them. In fact, this is kind of a good weekend to recommit ourselves to those things. Whether we like it or not, summer's over. All of the traveling and the weekends away, back to the regular routine. We've got new Bible study opportunities and a new Sunday school year starting next week. But let's, let's realize what those things are really for. Those are not for people to try and keep that which contaminates as far away from them as possible. Those are opportunities for us to bring that which contaminates close to the God who can cleanse. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Good News Lutheran Church, visit www.goodnewslc.org.